take a seat. Who's feeling a little bit lighter already? And all our fear and doubts, they can all get stuffed too. That's the real, it's the real lyric. It's what it should be. They can all get stuffed too. Yeah. Hey, I'm really excited for next week. I know I might be getting ahead of myself in that we're still in this week and it's still Sunday now. But next Sunday, Ruth Lewis-Jones is going to be bringing the word for us next week. And I've seen in Ruthie um, an incredible growth in her um, ability to communicate um, God's word over the years. Um, And even so in recent times, uh, with the moments that she has had um, in front of you, her church community, and I am looking forward uh, with eager anticipation uh, for what God has already been stirring in Ruthie and that she will bring next week. So uh, be praying for Ruthie this week. Get around Ruthie as she brings the word next week because it's her first time in big church um, <laughs> being able to um, bring the word to us. Um, she was due to preach on the 27th of June last year, the day we went into lockdown the day after, and so was robbed of the moment and the opportunity. Um, So the Lord has been our work in her in the meantime, and I look forward to next week, Ruthie. It's going to be wonderful. Well, last week I set our vision series up with the story of, who remembers his name? Ahimaz. Ahimaz. And Ahimaz is the story of outrunning an Ethiopian man. The short of the long of it that Absalom, King David's son, had been killed in battle. And news of Absalom's death uh, needed to get um, to King David. And it was Ahimaz's job as the runner of the news to go. And so Ahimaz went to Joab, who was the commander of the army, and he said, May I run the news to the king of Absalom's death? And Joab said to him, No, not today. Another day you can run news, but today you will run no news. And so Joab, in that moment, appointed an Ethiopian man to run the news. And off he went, presumably at a fair clip, as our Ethiopian brothers and sisters can run. And meanwhile, Ahimaz was pacing in the background. He couldn't sit still, he was jittery, and he wouldn't take no for an answer for what I believe to be two reasons. Firstly, it was his job. Running news was his appointment from the king. It was his unique calling that King David had given Ahimaz to be the runner of news. And so when he was told that he couldn't, he got upset and rightfully so. This was his job. And secondly, I believe that his actions speak to a deep love for the king an affection and passion for serving the king in the way in which he was asked. And I suggest to you, and I suggested this last week, that it was from this clarity of Ahimez's calling and a depth of conviction that he went back to Joab. And he said again, so let me run. And Joab said, why do you want to run for no reward? And young Ahimez stood tall and he beat his chest proudly and he said come what may I will run and off he went and he overtook the Ethiopian man and he got to the king 
Now, I am confident that at the intersection of clarity and conviction, at the convergence of who we truly are in Christ and a passionate love for the King, we will find our stride and we will run this year with a new flow and in a new kind of rhythm. It's a lifetime's work coming to understand who we are in Christ, in coming to understand the uniqueness of the calling that he has on our lives and the way in which it changes and it evolves over years. It is a lifetime of work understanding and unpacking the unique gifts and talents and skills and creativity in which he has gifted us. It is a lifetime's work of understanding the various contexts that God places us in to run the race of faith. And in 2022, as we lean into that more fully, I believe we will run like we've never run before. Like Ahimez, come what may, we will run. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 11. We spoke out of last week and I'll be speaking out of it again this week. So if you need a moment to find it, otherwise it um, could be one on the screen. At least there's a little uh, one up there, I think. It says this, therefore, and we know when that word is in the Bible, it's therefore a reason. It points to something that had just transpired and which in this case is Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, the great hall of faith of all of the names of those who lived an incredible life of faith in Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. I want you to underline, consider him. In your Bible, if you are using pen and paper, otherwise, just look at it really intently on your phone. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the author of Hebrews is clear that there is a race that as Jesus followers that we are in whether we like it or not. The moment we gave our lives to Jesus, we were qualified and we began a race, in fact, the greatest race on earth, the race of pursuing Christ. Usually one must face many opponents and beat them to win and qualify for entry into such a major event. However, it was Jesus who is described earlier in Hebrews 6 as our forerunner. It is Jesus who has run before us, Jesus who has chased down and who has beat the opposition, leaving the devil in his dust as he sailed across the victory line as the victor. Colossians 2.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus has run the race, and by virtue of his death and his resurrection, he has won the race. 
And he sent the enemy home, sulking and sucking with his tail between his legs because he's a loser. All the while, Jesus wears the victor's crown. John Calvin said it this way, There is no tribunal so magnificent, no throne so stately, no show of triumph so distinguished, no chariot so elevated as the gibbet on which Christ has subdued death and the devil, the prince of death. Christ's victory over sin, death, and the devil on the cross has set you and I free to run this race. So come what may, we will run. Father, I pray in these moments as we read your word together and as uh, your Holy Spirit brings it to life, brings from what is written on the page or on our device and brings it to life in our hearts that we may know you more fully. Father, that the revelation of your love would grow. Father, that our depth of understanding and love and passion of who you are, Father, will increase. And Father, we will see ourselves caught up in your story that you've been telling since the beginning of time. In Jesus' name, amen. In 720 BC, it is well documented that the ancient Greece, uh, it was abuzz with excitement. It was the 15th Olympic Games, and they were in full swing. The competition was fierce, it is said. In those days, the traditional garment of competition was the loincloth. A loincloth is kind of a skirt-ish kind of arrangement, either made from linen or from leather, and uh, it would have been considered the Lorna Janes of the day. The active wear of the day was a loincloth. Um, in particular, um, for the Olympics and this Olympics, one runner took it upon himself, though, to buck the tradition. And a true pioneer and crowd favourite, Orsippus, was his name. Orsippus' loincloth fell off during the race. And it is up for debate as to whether this slip was accidental or purposeful. However, an ancient Greek historian who believed the supposed mishap to be intentional wrote, my own opinion is that Orsippus intentionally, intentionally let the girdle slip off him, realising that a naked man can run more easily than one girt. And regardless, free in the breeze, quite literally, Orsippus won and was the first of all Greeks to be crowned victor naked. The object lesson today could have got a little bit racy, pardon the pun. Last year I got you to wear, last week got you to wear runners and uh, today it could have been a whole different kettle of fish. Um, but I was not prepared to be viewing that while I was preaching the word of God this morning. And we fast forward 1300 years in the 7th century AD, the writer Isidore of Seville suggested that during a race um, in Athens, one of the runners had the bad luck to trip over his own loincloth when it slipped down and a magistrate in charge of the games ordered a new ruling that athletes should compete in the nude. 
There are undisputable records going back to Athenian philosopher Plato in the 5th century BC and even Homer's Iliad, as well as many explicit drawings that confirm it was common practice for all male track and field athletes to take part in the buff. This included the often dangerous sports of discus throwing, (laughs) wrestling, boxing and horse racing, Though the exception seems to have been for charioteers who wore long white tunics. I'm not sure why they got the special privilege to remain in their threads. However, it seems to be the case. The ancient Greeks, they loved it. They even named the structures that they trained in gymnos. This is where we get the word gymnasium, which means naked, unclad or bare. When we say I'm going to the gym, it takes on a whole new meaning. I'm going to the house of nudity. Thank God that culture in this regard has progressed. It is against this cultural backdrop of runners running stark naked that the writer of Hebrews writes, throw off everything, everything that hinders. And the sin that so closely clings or some versions would say, so easily entangles. Run this race of faith free of every limitation. Run this race of faith free of every weight, free of every encumbrance. Denude yourself of everything that will slow you down. Remove anything that might trip you up, Take off anything that would encumber the length of your stride. Shed anything that's limiting your movement. Run light. Run free. During marathons, runners shed layers as they go. At the beginning of the race, they might turn up on a colder winter's day like the New York Marathon. Run in winter and people turn up in bathrobes and beanies and gloves and tracksuits and all of the rest of it. And as, they, as the starting whistle goes off, as they progress through the race, they start taking off you know, things that aren't serving them for the purpose in which they once served them and they discard it. They throw it off so they can run the marathon that is set out before them. And did you know that on average event organisers collect 200,000 pounds of clothing that has been thrown off, off the track post the marathon. That is 90 tonnes, 9,000 kilograms of runner's clothes that have been discarded. What are you wearing that's not serving you well? What do you need to tear off to run more freely? What's what's weighing you down and limiting your ability to run this race well? Rhetorical questions, but ones perhaps to consider. What are the things, what are the weights that you are carrying in this race and this pursuit of Christ and his kingdom and the transformative work that he is doing in your life? What is weighing you down? I mean, imagine for a moment what it would feel like to run the race of faith 
to stride in your fellow followership of Jesus completely free. Like com- completely free. Like nothing, no hindrance. Not weighed down by anything. Completely free of the weight of other people's expectations of you. Imagine being able to run completely free of worry. I mean, what would, it, what would it be like to run completely free of doubt and fear and free of the insidious nature of guilt and shame as it erodes the very fabric of our hearts? To run free of offense, carrying the weight of what others have done to us and unforgiveness. To run free of resentment, And to run free of disappointment. To run free of ego and pride and free of busyness and striving. Running free of feeling like a failure. Free of addiction, free of distractions, free of tiredness. Free of bad habits, of bad thinking, of bad attitudes or bad ideas. Is such freedom possible? Is running this race as we are asked to do completely unhindered by any and all of these, which is by no means an exhaustive list of the weights that you and I carry in our lives? Is this achievable? Jesus in Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you extra weight to carry. No, no, he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the message version, I think, illuminates this invitation and this promise with impeccable clarity. If that, the NIV I just read was the 1080p high-definition the message version of Jesus' invitation and promise is like watching it in 4K. Come with me. Are you tired? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, uh, worn out, Jesus asks. It's only February. Yeah. I'm pretty worn out. Burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Come, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Keep company with him and you will learn to run unhindered. Keep company with Jesus and you will learn to run unhindered. And like all great coaches, Jesus played the game that he now coaches. He isn't just a theorist on running well. He didn't simply study a degree in running unhindered. 
He lived a life in which he demonstrated the very call to running light, to laying aside hindrances and resisting the sin and temptation that confronted him. It is no wonder that the writer of the Hebrews encourages us in our race to consider him. Consider him. It doesn't say consider the Instagram influences or consider the hotshot pastor of the big show church. It doesn't say Google it. The writer to the Hebrews, to a group of people ready to throw the towel in, says consider him. Now the word consider has three iterations in scripture and I will guarantee you I will pronounce these wrong. Katamentano means to examine closely. Kataneo, which means observe well. And anathereo, look up toward or look again at. And if you're looking for a beginning point in throwing off hindrances, even if the, the, the concept of being relieved of the weight that you carry in this life is almost too much for you to know where to begin, you can begin here. The Spirit says to you this morning, consider him. Through the word of God, the Spirit says, consider him. You know, in our team meeting on Tuesday, I asked the question of everyone, what examples do we see in Scripture of Jesus living unhindered? I thought I've got a captive audience here and they can prepare the message for Sunday. And I busily started writing down all of their wonderful wisdom. Things like this. Jesus wasn't hindered by a pace that wasn't his. Jesus wasn't hindered by people's expectations of who he ought to be. Jesus wasn't hindered by other people's burdens, nor was he hindered by other people's wants. He wasn't hindered by busyness, and as we know, he wasn't hindered by temptation. He wasn't hindered by popularity. He wasn't hindered by momentum. He wasn't hindered by the hype train that surrounded his ministry. He wasn't hindered by failures of his followers, their unbelief, their mistrust, their doubt in who he was, nor even their betrayal did not hinder him. He wasn't hindered by finite thinking in a finite world. He wasn't hindered by negativity. He wasn't hindered by cultural norms, patterns of this world, nor religion. He wasn't hindered by the fear of man. He wasn't hindered by closed-mindedness or tunnel vision. He wasn't hindered by offense. He wasn't hindered by the unknowns. He wasn't hindered by disappointment, discouragement, nor distractions. And he wasn't hindered by the need to be right. It was a really rich moment, actually, together, considering him. And Chrissy, at the end of our meeting, said something to the effect of, oh, how good was that? Uh, I love that, just chatting about Jesus as a team. So here I was thinking I was getting material for the message that morning, but now I realise that we were living the message in that moment. That together, consider him. It's really hard to feel heavy after considering Jesus, especially with other people. 
having kingdom conversations with each other, considering Jesus together and watch the weight fall off. I mean, ask any person who was part of our online Bible encounters during lockdown last year, spending one hour together on Zoom considering Jesus. Ask any one of them, and it was an activity, I can assure you, in lightening the load. My experience is that when you get around God's people in a healthy Jesus-worshipping community like this, stuff begins to fall off as we consider him. When I have conversations with you after a service about what God is saying and doing in your life, it is quite often an activity in God reminding me to pull my head in and see where he is moving in other people's lives. And I take great courage from your story and what God is doing in you. And I walk out of here on a Sunday, most weeks, feeling lighter than when I arrived. Such is the power of considering him together. Let us continue to consider him. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We run lighter when we run together. So on one hand, we have the author of Hebrews reminding us and the Holy Spirit reminding us to consider Jesus in our effort to run unhindered. And on the other hand, we also have Jesus in Matthew 11, himself saying, come to me. Consider him and come to me. Consider him and come to me. Tired, Jesus asks, come to me, he says. Worn out, question mark, come to me. Running heavy, burned out, carrying, carrying stuff you shouldn't, got that old yoke on again, come to me. The greatest alleviation of the weight we carry and of running heavy is being found in his presence. I mean, where do you default when you're feeling weighed down? When you feel the pinch of temptation? when you feel burdened by busyness or of tiredness? From where do you find relief from the constant barrage of noise that seeks to distract you or to even derail you? What is it in those moments that calls your name? Online shopping? Food? The gym? Wine? Netflix? Websites that you wouldn't want your mum knowing that you're on? You know, where are the places that we run to? What is the broken default setting for us? Because far greater than any of those is the invitation of Jesus in three simple words. Come to me. Consider him and come to me. I love marinas. In fact, marinas are like life, and I've told you repeatedly that I cannot preach without talking about fishing in some way, shape, or form. You can go down to a marina, take your pick, Cronulla, Burrinee Bay, Yowie Bay, Sylvania, there's a plethora of them out there. And you can go and you can observe the boats. 
You can see that some are really big and luxurious and some are small yet functional. Uh, some are fancy and some not so much. Some are pose boats, some are brand new, others are old but well-maintained. A bit like Norman. He's actually 70, but how good does the guy look? I was going to pick on you, Dicko, but I had a shot the other week at you for being old, but you're up now, big boy. Now, I'm often intrigued by stories. Whenever we go somewhere and, and there's a new harbour, I just want to go to the marina and I want to look at the trawlers. I love commercial fishing boats to see all of the operational. I just want to know the stories that happen on board those boats. I'm intrigued by if they could speak, what story would each boat tell? But here's what you don't see as you peruse the wharf. Whether it's a multi-million dollar mega yacht or a small runabout, every boat on the marina has stuff growing on its hull that slows it down. There is growth underneath that just goes unseen and unnoticed by anybody who walks by. And it's because of the changing water temperatures or how much fresh water might be in the system or how much chlorophyll is in the ocean or just the simple fact that the water is a biodiverse environment in which stuff, both healthy and unhealthy, loves to grow, especially on stationary boats at a marina. In fact, they have to be pulled out routinely out of the water once, if not twice a year, to undergo a procedure called anti-fouling, where the bottom of the boat gets cleaned. The boat is taken from its pen, pulled up on a, slip, on a slipway, like rails, train track kind of thing, and the shipwrights, they have at it with gurneys and brushes and scrapers to rid the hull of barnacles and the marine plants and all the growth that negatively impacts the performance of the boat and its ability to cut through the water. And I can look across a community like this and I can feel like I'm meandering a marina. I can see so many unique boats. And I want to know each of their stories. I want to know the adventures that this boat has had. And I've had many adventures on your boat and you on my boat with many of you over the years. I want to know the kind of fish that it's caught. I want to know the, the storms that each boat in this room has weathered. I want to know the joy that has been shared with all of those who have graced the decks of your life. But like boats at a marina, they can look polished from the waterline up. Underneath, however, barnacles and unhealthy growth that's come from the changing and shifting environment in which it resides. And like you and I, things can appear above the waterline of our lives to be polished functioning and in good working order, but underneath there can be unsightly, unhealthy things that have begun to grow and attach themselves down to us to slow us down. Some things perhaps are there because of our own doing and the decisions we've made, others simply because we live in an environment which both healthy and unhealthy things grow. 
I mean, things just have a habit of attaching themselves to us, especially when we're sitting still. And these things impact how well we move through the water, how well we run. Things that nobody else sees, but we know we're there, that we can feel more sluggish as we go, weighed down by things that simply don't belong there. And no doubt there are things on the hull of your life as there are on mine that nobody sees, that are perhaps unsightly, that are a bit sharp when you come into contact with them, things that are hindering your journey, holding you back, impeding your performance, things that others don't see but are creating drag in the water. The great news for people like you and I, whose hearts at times can get a bit barnacly, can get a little bit of growth on there that is hindering it, that we have in Jesus the most gentle and kind shipwright who takes great joy in the restoration of our souls. His invitation to come to him is an invitation onto the slipway in his presence where he goes about the work of anti-fouling our lives. And it's not a once or a twice a year thing. It's a no booking necessary. The price has already been paid for the work to be done. It is a daily invitation that you and I have into the presence of the creator of our souls, the author and the perfecter, the beginner and the ender of our faith, to come to him and to be cleansed from all weight and all encumbrance, the sin and the distractions and everything that goes with that. Come to him. You know, there are days where we need to cry out to God like David did in Psalm 51. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. It's in those come to him moments that Jesus takes to our hearts the gurney of his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. And as 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come to him and be cleansed. As we come to him, as we get away with him, as we rest with him, he is faithful and righteous to anti-foul our hearts, to restore our souls and to set us sail for his kingdom once again. And here's the good news for you and I and for those who want to run come what may. For those who want to run this journey of faith more lightly, denuded of all things that would encumber us. It's Titus 3.5, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And so let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance, says Hebrews 6, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This morning, and I'll invite the band to come up, the Spirit says to us, consider him. 
and the invitation of Jesus, the risen King among us, dwelling around us, in filling us, and sitting right with us now is to say, come to me. And he will cleanse us from all of the encumbrance, from all of the unsightly bits, and from all of the things that hinder, that we come what may, I will run. And I will run unhindered because he paid the price that I could run free. Amen.